0: Episode 81. How much will a patient pay for a drug? AJ Loyacano from Truveris explains.
1: American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to
0: know talking, relentlessly seeking value. Here's my takeaway. It takes a village of mathletes to figure out the copay or coinsurance a patient will pay when they go to a retail pharmacy to pick up a prescription. It might take another village to figure out how much the pharmacy will get paid. There are contracts and deals and all kinds of factors here. But who is paying the pharmacy and setting the price that the patient ultimately pays? Cash paying patients aside, it's going to be the insurance company that sets the prices. And when I say insurance company, do not become confused because it is likely I do not mean Aetna or United Healthcare. These are primarily medical carriers. The insurance company that is likely to pay the pharmacy and come up with the patient's portion of the bill is called a P. B-M, a pharmacy benefit manager. Pharmacy benefit managers manage the pharmacy benefits for many patients, hundreds of millions of patients, actually, even if the patient has an insurance card with Aetna or Humana or United Healthcare on it. It is a tangled web we weave. Today, I speak with AJ Loyacano from Truvaris. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, AJ. Thank you, Stacey. Great to be here. Let's talk about what goes on right at the point of patient picks up their prescription at the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. They walk in the door at the pharmacy and the, the pharmacist types the prescription in their computer. Like, What happens in that moment? What's going on?
1: Sure, there are two things that are happening. The first thing is if it's an uninsured transaction, The pharmacist is looking at what the retail price is offered by that specific pharmacy at that point in time. And that's a transaction that's controlled by the retail pharmacy. The other side of that is if it's an insured transaction, now the tech or pharmacist is communicating with the insurance carrier or the pharmacy benefit manager, the PBM. And once that communication happens, it's transmitted to the PBM or insurance carrier, And it's doing a variety of checks. It's first line of defense, is the member eligible to receive the pharmacy benefit? Second thing is price. What is the submitted ingredient cost? And what we mean by that is, what is the discounted cost of the prescription? Second thing is the lesser of logic. There's three tiers or two tiers depending upon your insurance. So a three-tier lesser of logic considers discounted price, MAC price and usual and customary, while lesser of two doesn't include usual and customary. And usual and customary is just a professional way of saying cash price offered by the retail pharmacy. And what it's finally determining is when it has that price, what is the member pay and plan pay? So if it's a high deductible plan, it may be the member pays 100%. If it is a $10 copay, the member pays $10 and the plan is paying the difference. And Plan pay ultimately requires a reimbursement, so the pharmacy needs to pay. So if it's a $200 drug, the patient pays $20. Well, that $180 is owed to the pharmacy, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later, which is the reimbursement from the carrier and PBM back to the retail pharmacy.
0: Let's just talk about PBMs for a second, because I think this is one of those entities, which unless you're in the business, you might not know who they are or what they do. So you've got a pharmacy benefit manager and the big ones are Express Scripts, Caremark, Caremark,
1: Optum United, Aetna, Cigna, Anthem, Regional Blues Plans. They all provide a pharmacy benefit. And oftentimes the PBM, may be the processor, on the back end of the carrier, what I mean by that is Anthem is processing its claims through Express Scripts. Aetna has a relationship with Caremark. Cigna has a relationship with Catamaran, which is owned now by Optum. So if you look at it, 70% plus of all insured transactions are happening through three entities, Express Scripts, CVS Caremark, and Optum.
0: I think a lot of people don't realize that, They think, including physicians, they see someone's insurance card with United. They have United Healthcare, or they have, Mm -hmm. exactly like you said, Aetna. And then they know that on Aetna, because they got a little card or something from the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, I spent a good deal of my career making those little cards that say for United patients, you know, the copay is $20 or whatever it is. But then the patient goes to the pharmacy. And the pharmacist says, oh, this is not a formula for you. Mm -hmm. And then everyone always says, oh, the little card was wrong. But in actuality, the problem is, is that that patient, although their medical insurance is through United or Aetna, their pharmacy benefits are provided by one of these pharmacy benefit managers that their employer signed up with. So they actually don't have United for their pharmacy benefit. This is very complicated.
1: It is. And I think it's complicated for a variety of reasons. One that you mentioned, which is many large employers are what is known as self-insured. So typically, if you have over 1,000 employees, you're self-insured. And what that means is I'm no longer going to go through a carrier to underwrite my risk. I, the employer, am willing to pay for my pharmacy benefit with the understanding since no one is actually offsetting my risk with fully insured cost, I'm able to have a level of savings. I typically save more when I'm self-insured. But as a result of that, some people have obviously a medical insurance card and a pharmacy benefit card, and often people always equate insurance to the medical, so they don't look at the pharmacy benefit card, as you were saying. But the other part that's really complex is kind of what's happened over the last five, six years, which is the complexity of plan design and copay. So I always say we go back 10 years ago, we pay $5 for a generic drug, we pay $10 or $20 for a brand drug, and everything's covered. Kind of fast forward to the present, I'm in a high deductible plan. So the first $500 is cash, where I basically behave like an uninsured patient, because I'm paying full cash price. And then I have either coinsurance or some level of deductible. You might have a great benefit plan where you're still paying and flat copay for the majority of your transactions, while someone may have very dramatic tiers in their formulary. And formulary is an important part of this discussion what drugs are covered and which drugs are not covered, and kind of the prior authorization and step therapy in order to receive higher cost medications. And that's kind of the proliferation of specialty drugs have kind of created the need for these very complex clinical edits.
0: When you're talking about Prioros and step edits, what you mean there is that there are some drugs that you cannot get unless a provider fills out a form and explains to the insurance company why this very expensive drug is necessary for this particular patient. They tried all the cheap ones and cheap ones didn't work. So therefore that's why we're prescribing this very expensive one. Did I sum that up well?
1: Yeah, and we can use a practical example. Let's pretend for a second that I am an arthritis patient you may have a step therapy or prior authorization protocol, which the doctor is providing information to the carrier to make sure that they're asking the important questions. And let's just say my first line of defense is my physician wants to put me on a steroid, and that doesn't work, and then maybe it's methotrexate is the level two or line two defense, and if that doesn't work, now I can have a biologic like Embril, Stolera, Cosentix, etc., which are Typically, $20,000, $30,000 treatments a year, much more expensive than the line one and line two defenses. It's these step therapies or prior authorizations, which is filling out a form and saying, my patient's tried everything, or unfortunately, my, my patient is not reacting positively to the treatment that we've tried in the past, and we'd now like to try these more expensive treatments.
0: This is a perfect excuse. I got to say, for me to get into a topic which has been obsessing me for the past couple of weeks, this Martin Shkreli business. Martin Shkreli, he's the one that he was the former CEO of Turing Pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And he bought that drug called, or Turing, bought that drug called Darapim. And then they jacked up the price. And there was this uproar. Everyone is saying that he's some kind of evil outlier. There's actually a New Yorker article by a guy named Khalifa Sana that I thought was really spot on. Because what Shkreli and Turing claimed was that patients aren't really paying for the drugs, especially patients that can't afford the drug. The way they described the arrangement, similarly to this conversation, seems like some kind of crazy hot mess. And when Shkreli went in front of the House Committee, the Oversight and Government Mm -hmm. Reform Committee, everyone seemed stunned by Shkreli's explanation of who paid for Daraprim. Mm -hmm. Shkreli was kind of single-handedly thwarting the entire medical system like some kind of evil overlord. And I have to say what most surprised me, what I found most shocking and stunning about the whole affair wasn't anything that Shkreli was doing, which I am certainly in absolutely no way, shape or form excusing because it was terrible, the ethics that he displayed. But I thought what was equally stunning was how surprised Congress was by how this whole industry works. I don't no, know. No,
1: absolutely. It's interesting kind of take it in two parts is there's a direct correlation for generic drugs the number of manufacturers and how heavily discounted the prices so if you were to look at a chart if you will and on one end it starts with one manufacturer and on the far end there's 30 manufacturers where there's 30 manufacturers let's say vying to make amoxicillin the price of the generic drug is discounted 95 to 98% off list price. It goes down to like $4, $7. While as you move along back towards one manufacturer, that discount suddenly creeps back. So instead of being discounted 90 plus percent, it's 70, it's 60. And then you enter the realm of what we call in the industry, single source generics. There's one or possibly only two manufacturers, and then it gets to list price. Now, the second part of this, which is I find unfortunate and equally shocking as yourself, which is that when someone takes advantage of either consolidating or intentionally purchasing a generic drug that is a single treatment in a therapeutic category perhaps, and then they're able to escalate the price without being concerned about any competitive force against them in the sense that if I am the supply and demand for this entire therapeutic category, nothing can stop me from increasing the price. When you have one or two manufacturers, you tend to see obviously less discounted price and more price increases year over year and in this one case, someone really took advantage of the system by increasing the price and then saying, "Well, it's a generic drug. Most people have a $10 copay, $15 copay on generic. So, hey, the plan is paying for it or the government is paying for it. What do I care as the manufacturer?" And that's an absurd position to have because members are paying for it because people I myself have a deductible plan so i go into the actual pharmacy like one in four plans are exposed to cost through co-insurance or deductibles and more and more plans are moving to co-insurance and deductible plans as we share the cost that statement is absurd i am exposed to cost and because of that reason, when you increase the price radically, I may now misbehave as a patient, which is I may not pick up my prescription, which is abandonment, and I may not pick it up as frequently, which is adherence. You now I may wait a week or two before I want to go back and be exposed to that price.
0: Yeah, and I think in the Shkreli example, it was even further complicated because many times that drug was prescribed inpatient, which is a whole other set of rules. Agreed. (laughs) But let's stick with retail.
1: (laughs) I completely agree.
0: Uh, One of the things that you've been referring to, which I've never, I have to admit, fully understood, is this whole idea of how the pharmacy gets reimbursed. So you were saying earlier that, so the pharmacy actually will buy the drug and then get reimbursed by the plan for it. And I'm assuming that the delta there, the difference between what they paid for it and how much they got at retail, is that's what their profit is. Could you explain this a lot better than I just did?
1: At the retail level, price for, I would say, looking at our data, probably 70 to 75% of all transactions are determined by the carrier the PBM. So back to the tech or pharmacist typing on their keyboard, checking with the price of the drug, on the back end, the carriers and PBMs have sometimes three, four, six, seven different pricing contracts with the retailer. And this only adds to the complexity. So at any given moment, they're going to use one of these pricing schedules. And the promise to the retailer is on the far end of this pricing schedule, let's say pricing list one, it benefits the pharmacy. These are pretty decent rates for you you're going to have a good margin. And on the other end, like, hey, I've got some big, important clients, and I've got to really drive a value through them. And you're going to see some claims go through contract six, which is not advantageous for you. But they just never know who's coming to their pharmacy, obviously. So sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And the retailer is constantly trying to make sure that they're not at a disadvantage. And what makes this very difficult is the accelerated pace in which claims are coming into the pharmacy and then think of it as a chain level it's only accelerated because now you have hundreds of thousands or millions of claims that you're trying to keep track of through thousands of different stores across the country so the price is set by the carrier or PBM And there's this logic on the back end. There's a discounted price, which price list it's using. And then it comes down to if they can contemplate their own cash price, which is, hey, if I am willing to offer this less expensive than the carrier, you'll use my price, which doesn't happen too often because, again, they're trying to run a business and have some margin. So reimbursements, if you think about it, is very complex on the front end. But then you're going to receive payment many weeks later. And now you're trying to match back to those claims. And these prices are changing for, especially on generic drugs, they're changing on a daily basis by chain. And so it's very, very complex, the way in which you kind of match up reimbursement and stay ahead of the game, if you will. How do I make sure that I'm actually being reimbursed the amount that was contracted? And this is kind of that push-pull between the retailer and the actual carrier. We saw some of this years back where Express Scripts entered into kind of a shouting match with Walgreens about rates, and ultimately it led to Express Scripts kicking Walgreens out of their network, which was not a positive experience for Walgreens and its stock price. And Express Scripts basically was able to demonstrate to the industry that they are able to kind of dictate where patients pick up their prescriptions.
0: Interesting power play. It was the lesson, it was like kind
1: of picking a fight with the biggest kid in the schoolyard in the sense that Walgreens was the largest chain. Once Express Scripts demonstrated that they didn't care necessarily and were able to position themselves as being, I guess, the successful party in that negotiation, every other chain in America said, well, if the biggest was felled. We certainly must follow their lead.
0: When you say kicked Walgreens out of the network, so basically what ESI did, Express Scripts did, was they said, okay, we have, as you said, there's three big guns relative to PBMs. And most Americans who have insurance through a commercial payer. the commercial payer has something to do with those three big PBMs. So therefore, those three PBMs control, I mean, literally hundreds of millions of lives. And so what one of them did, Express Scripts, was said, fine, if anyone has their insurance or is using Express Scripts as their PBM, they can't go to Walgreens, that we won't pay for it if they go to Walgreens.
1: Correct. That it's out of network and they won't process the transaction. And you know, it's interesting. It's still to this day at my local Rite Aid, I think in the window is a sign that says Express Scripts Insurance accepted here, which is kind of all the other retailers took advantage of Walgreens being in a position of at a disadvantage. And if suddenly they were all advertising, we accept Express Scripts insurance. And, you know, still to this day,
0: these signs are out front. Let me ask you this. If a patient goes to the pharmacy with a prescription for a branded drug, and this is something that we talk about a lot with pharmaceutical companies who are working on branded drugs, there is a huge percentage of time that the branded drug is switched to a generic in the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Obviously, sometimes it is done and that the patient certainly saves money. There's no reason why a patient might be prescribed branded Lipitor when generic atorvastatin, for example, which is... Lipitor is much less expensive and it's exactly the same drug. So there's no reason to pay a higher copay or the entire cost of the drug when a less expensive alternative exists. However, there are certain incentives that a pharmacist would have to do that switching. And there are also cases where the patient may benefit from the branded drug. I mean, there was some reason why the prescriber prescribed the branded drug, Mm -hmm. but there are incentives at the pharmacy level to switch the drug beyond patient care. Could you talk about that?
1: Sure. In the United States, physician typically, or nurse practitioner, has the override, the ability to say, my patient requires this medication. The second entity that's able to do that, which is interesting, is the insurance carrier itself, not so much the pharmacist. And what I mean by that is in America, in the electronic claim processing age, Plan design is one of those checks that's happening in the background, as I mentioned earlier. So when the pharmacist or tech is typing on the keyboard, it's saying, hey, is AJ eligible for this drug? But also, what is the plan design? Is it a mandatory generic program, which means for these drugs, if there is a chemically equivalent or perhaps even if there's a generic available in the therapeutic category, they must consider that. So instead of receiving Lipitor. I must receive a torvastatin according to my plan, and I think that's where you're seeing the pharmacist saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to just write the generic, and instead of being a twenty dollar copay, it'll be ten dollars or whatever the difference may be for the patient. If it's a copay or the exact cost amount, and if it's a actual branded drug, it could be one hundred and eighty dollars versus say thirty two. So obviously, when you're paying the full price and not just the copay portion, you're exposed to that full price, and I think back to your other point regarding the physician, what if I really need that, that actual Lipitor for whatever reason, my genetic disposition is I'm allergic to the generic manufacturer that makes a Torvastatin and I just react better to good old-fashioned branded Lipitor by Pfizer. In this case, it's in America, we call the dispenses written codes, DAW codes. There's nine of them. And this is in transmission. So based upon the prescription, the physician may write dispense as written 1 in the sense that DAW1 is the prescribing physician is like, hey, this person needs it. It's not patient requested, which is often DAW2. The patient's like, oh, I'd prefer that. It's DAW1 is kind of that domain typically we see where the physician is saying, my patient requires this. But the point I'd like to make out is always the plan design kind of takes over.
0: All right, here's a scenario. Maybe you can help me untangle it. Sure. We were working on a transdermal patch, and the branded transdermal patch was very tiny, really little, very discreet. It was like an inch big Mm -hmm. because it was the new version, right? The generic equivalent, I don't want to use the word equivalent because that has clinical connotations, but the generic alternative is a better word, was this giant thing. It was like a foot wide. (laughs) It was itchy and it would always fall off. (laughs) I can't imagine swimming or going to the gym with this gigantic patch on. Mm -hmm. What was happening, it was determined, was that patients were going to the pharmacy with a prescription for the branded patch, which was this little thing, And the pharmacists were actually being incented in some way. In other words, the pharmacists were getting paid Hmm. to switch the brand. I mean, it wasn't just this particular drug, but switch branded drugs to generics that for every generic that they dispensed, that there was some sort of bonus or incentive comp that was paid to them.
1: Yep. Yep. If there's not a dispense as written, the physician's not making a point to saying my patient must have this specific branded drug or treatment, You know, the plan design then allows for a generic alternative and the pharmacist or pharmacy is taking advantage of that opportunity where I'm saying if the plan design allows for it, they'll do it. I think That's the gateway is open for the vast majority of plans in America. If there is a generic equivalent, we want to have a higher generic dispense rate because it lowers the cost for the plan and possibly the member. So, unless that physician is writing on the prescription, my patient must have this for some specific clinical reason or treatment reason, it can be switched.
0: I think that's really interesting as we also discuss adherence. There are plenty of reasons why a generic first policy is the way to go. So please take this in the, in the spirit with which it's intended. I do feel like in certain cases, if a physician doesn't write DAW, you know, dispense is written, and in a case where the patient doesn't quite understand that they didn't get the drug or the patch that the physician wrote Now, all of a sudden, they're at home with this old thing, something that the provider doesn't understand what their patient got. The patient is now completely non-adherent because it wasn't what the provider decided was correct for them, and they don't even quite realize that that happened. So there's also downsides to that as well, which are kind of nuanced.
1: Yeah, it's one of the things we call it the last mile of prescriptions. As you arrive at the register... And you may not receive the drug you thought you were going to receive, or you may never know, as you pointed out. And in the first mile, you have that relationship between the patient and the physician or nurse practitioner in the sense that a drug is being prescribed. And quite often, the physician, unfortunately, has no visibility to cost or plan design or step therapy or prior authorization. And they're just trying to provide a treatment, and they're trying to make sure that they don't have to come back to them, because if you think about it, if it's an e-script and they send it to a pharmacy and either they don't have it or it's not covered, whatever it may be, it's coming right back to the physician to rewrite or speak to the pharmacist on the phone, which takes away from their time. So it's one of the things that our company has been working on quite a bit over the last year, which is kind of address that first mile of prescribing, help educate the patient with their insurance up front at the point of the prescription help them understand what the cost is, is it covered, am I going to receive the branded drug, or my plan has a generic override, or mandatory generic program, and then obviously the fulfillment at the register and the cost, and we do that through a mobile application today as well as websites for our B2B clients that work with our company because it's just so gosh darn confusing as a patient in America.
0: Let us use that as the perfect segue to talk a little bit about TruVirus. So it, it sounds like based on what you just said that you have a B2B component and then you also have a B2C for patient component. So let's talk about the patient one first. So you sure. said it's a mobile app. So say I'm a patient. Now I'm at my provider office and my doctor says, I'm going to prescribe you brand X. Do I whip out my mobile app at that moment or what happens?
1: Yeah, it's a behavior change. It's taking advantage of people that are obviously comfortable with using a mobile device. If you think about it, we do it for our taxes to online banking to ordering food to a taxi. So why not help me understand my pharmacy benefits? So while you're talking to your physician about drug X, you type in drug X name. And on the back end, you've already taken a picture of your insurance card. So it's coordinating the benefit. It's saying, okay, for Stacy for Drug X. She has, unfortunately, a copay of $100 because this is tier three non-preferred brand. So at that point, you could say, hey, doc, by the way, could you consider another drug because it's showing me that this is $100, which is you know not covered. It's tier three. Is there another option? Now, there may not be another option for you. But if there is a generic or another brand, you could then have that conversation and prevent This confusion at the register, be it cost or just not receiving it.
0: Is that available to anybody or does my employer or someone need to sponsor the app for, do I need to have a sponsor in order to get access to the TrueBears app?
1: So, presently, anyone can download it. It's available at the uh, Android and Apple Store. So, if you just type in 1RX, you're able to download this application. You can go to 1RX.com, obviously, as well, and it'll give you the link to the corresponding App Store. But the whole idea is we work with, on our core business, about 200 large self insured companies and another 400 or so brokers that represent small, mid sized companies. And what we're doing, we just launched this application this past summer, and to great success, we're working with them to provide this application for free, and it enables the employer's members to understand cost and understand their plan design, start having this dialogue at the physician or nurse practitioner. And the whole point here is adherence. Everyone benefits from adherence. My employer wants me to be adherent because I'll be healthier and happier. I wanna obviously adhere because I would like to be healthier and happier. Obviously, this behavior has the best outcome when there's the least amount of shock. Like I go to the pharmacy and it's not a $300 prescription. Or I go to the pharmacy and it's not what I expected. We want to take all that mystery out of it and help someone understand right at that first mile, right when the prescription is being written.
0: You can really see the value of that if you think about how much non-adherence costs this country every year. I mean, it's billions of dollars. One of the things that in my day job, we spend a lot of time thinking about is we we call it the copay threshold. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Mm -hmm. But what is the exact point that a patient will abandon their prescription at the pharmacy? In other words, if the copay is 20 bucks, will they take the prescription? If it's 25, will they take the prescription? Okay, what if it's 30 or 35? At what dollar amount is the moment that a patient shakes their head and says, "Man, I'm not going to pick that up today. Or they don't, you know, maybe they'll pick it up the first time, but they won't refill it month two. So it's interesting what you're saying because effectively what it's doing is helping the patient think about what their copay threshold is before they walk into the pharmacy. And if they have reached it or exceeded it to have the conversation with the physician proactively as opposed to now they're in the pharmacy, the doctor's not in front of them. So there's no one to have the conversation with. They just simply don't pick up the prescription and they don't go back to their doctor and say, hey, I didn't pick it up because it was too expensive.
1: Correct. You know, It's one of the things that we study quite a bit here at Traverse, which is in the five years we've been kind of monitoring patient behavior at the register and mail order is that the first study we had was around standard deviation, 30-day supply, retail copay, which is just a fancy way of what's the difference between you and I as different patients pay at the register. and We saw this increase 50% over the last five years, so the delta between what you pay, back to my earlier example, you may have great insurance, and you still, over the last five years, pay $5 generic and $15, $20 brands while I have coinsurance or a deductible plan, so suddenly... I'm deviating, if you will, from the normal experience where I just pay more and this disparity is growing. So it moved from like a delta of approximately $50 to about $70, $80 that we've been seeing. And this trend impacts patient behavior because you're right. There is a threshold where suddenly a patient says, mmm. $70, $80, that's heat, that's groceries, that's cable, whatever is more critical in my life than my medication. And each drug, to be fair, has a different break point, if you will, where you begin to see this exaggerated slope or spike in abandonment or a decrease in adherence. But typically, if I had to give an estimation, I'd say once you get past like fifty dollars, you begin to see it take off where people are like, I'm just not gonna take this drug.
0: Where can people find out more about Truveris? I know you mentioned the app store and your website, but maybe you could just repeat that for those who did not have their pencils ready.
1: <laughs> sure. So for our mobile application, which will help you understand your copay and plan design in real time, you can go to onerx.com and one spelled out, O-N-E-R-X.com. And for more information on Traveris as our organization and the solutions we provide across the supply chain, you can go to t r u v e r i s T-R-U-V-E-R-I-S.com.
0: Thank you so much for being on the program, AJ. I have learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Stacy. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it.